HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street. Do you need a conference room for your next meeting? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. This week on Meet and 3, meet four of our HRN Hall of Fame inductees. These prolific individuals are writers who have changed the way we talk about food. We'll take a look at the journeys that shaped their literary voices. I was heading off into the unknown to spend my junior year of college in Paris. We'll explore the culinary landscape they work within. You know, it was that whole self-made American idea that you, you can just kind of create a new world from scratch, including a new way of eating. And look at the transformative effect that their work has on what we eat and where it comes from. It gets down to management deciding that humane handling is important. You've got to have management that cares. And if management doesn't care, then you're going to have a bunch of bad stuff. You can learn more about HRN's 10th Anniversary Hall of Fame at heritageradionetwork.org slash hall of fame. And don't forget to subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. I'm Luke Griffin, and you're listening to Bushwick Podcast, local stories for a strong community. Each week, we take you behind the scenes of the artists, activists, and entrepreneurs whose journeys collide in Bushwick, a special Brooklyn neighborhood that's changing faster by the day. We've heard in previous episodes about how Bushwick has become one of Brooklyn's most dynamic communities for everything from food to art. Take a walk around the neighborhood, and you're sure to notice another scene that's thriving here. Thrift stores and vintage shops. But that's not without some complicated feelings, as some people see the increasingly hip secondhand industry as a herald of gentrification. We didn't want people to look at us and say, oh man, there goes a neighborhood. Oh, the, you know, the gentrification is coming to that next step. You know, here we go. This week, we sit down with one of the owners behind Bushwick's newest vintage shop to discuss. What makes a secondhand store tick, and what role can it play in Bushwick's future. It's Thursday, August 8th, and this episode is called Going for the Sock Drawer. If you've walked by the corner of Irving and Himrod lately, you've probably noticed a bit of commotion. Each week, Tuesday through Sunday, the block's newest shop rolls up its doors and exhales a collection of interesting things out onto the sidewalk. Depending on the day, you might see tables, paintings, boots, or any number of home goods and furnishings. And inside, past the assorted folding chairs and dining sets, 
you'll find a carefully curated selection of essentials and oddities for nearly every part of your life. From your floors. We try to bring some small carpets. Uh, people have different setups. To your walls. It's like a wall. It's wall pinball. Kind of, right? It's, people don't know what a pachinko machine is. To your shelves. Folk art, like cute, those moving, they're windmills. Kind of these little like wind, is it a windmill? What do you call those? Things? To some places that might defy an easy explanation. It's an ostrich foot uh, candle holder. It's pretty creepy. Yeah. Super creepy. <laughs> That's very interesting. <laughs> it's strange looking. It's a conversation piece. You know. All this and more is on sale now here at Bushwick's newest secondhand store, Brooklyn Vintage Company. People want their environments to look unique, so uh, they have to go out and curate for themselves. So we just make this place someplace where they can come pick and curate their house. That is Kat Varga, one of the three owners behind the new shop. I'm Kat Varga. I am co-owner of Brooklyn Vintage Company. Uh, and I have two partners, uh, Mike, Michael Epstein and Mike Estevez. So in the joke of the, in the vintage world, we are MCM. In a neighborhood filled with one of Brooklyn's largest and most eclectic selections of secondhand shops, Kat and her MCM partners are trying to build something unique with Brooklyn Vintage Company, a space that's as committed to the community as it is to a well-curated selection of repurposed treasures. We caught up with Kat at the shop last month to learn more about her team's vision and dive into how exactly a vintage store works. If there's a pattern to find in the past that lead people into the professional vintage game, it may be that there's no one traditional route. Some people might grow up antiquing with their parents, while others might arrive via adjacent industries. Take Mike, one of Kat's partners, for instance, who comes from a music background and now traffics in, among other things, secondhand records, which you can find by the thousands in Brooklyn Vintage Company's growing collection. 2,000 plus records in here at the moment. You know, classic, The Doors, Great Jazz, Duke Ellington, a lot of nice, crazy good 80s new wave, and quite a respectable punk punk assortment, which is not large, but it is hard to come by. <laughs> Very hard to come by. Kat came to vintaging from the fashion industry, where she worked as a designer and a buyer for different fashion lines. In those roles, one of the things she'd do for inspiration was visit secondhand sales to find interesting pieces and explore vintage designs. She began spending more and more of her time at places like flea markets, even on the weekends, before eventually she realized not only was she good at finding great vintage pieces, she really enjoyed it. I just enjoyed doing it. You know, like even on the weekends, I would go to the flea markets on 26th Street and, and just, I find it relaxing, I find it inspirational, I like it. It's sort of recharging my creative battery, so it's something that I would do a lot. And so it started making me think, like, when I'm shopping, like, wow, what if I was shopping for me? What if I was shopping for my own place? Maybe, maybe I do have an eye for not just what I like, but what other people would like. Kat went deeper into the vintage world, graduating from flea markets to things like estate sales, where she started networking with professional vintage pickers and second-handers. She learned the tricks of the trade, like the proper etiquette for negotiating prices and how to get the best bang for your buck when you can only carry a bag's worth of pieces. And before long, Kat put her budding talents to work toward a bigger goal, 
working for herself outside of what she calls the whims of corporate America. Two years ago, she opened something like a beta version of Brooklyn Vintage Company, a part-time vintage shop in a shipping container at the open-air Bushwick Market at Wyckoff and Willoughby. I myself made a shipping container store, so uh, in, in the open space market. Uh, so we were opening Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, so I made a store inside of a shipping container. So it was great, you know, somewhat sheltered from the elements. In operating the shipping container, Kat learned a lot about how to run a vintage store, and in particular, one that was accessible for the community here in Bushwick. It was sort of a good entree into learning about the neighborhood, learning about the people in the neighborhood, seeing what they liked, and and even even how it was changing, and so how I could sort of, um, you know, cater to and tweak what I was bringing in. And the more she learned, the more it became clear that her ambitions had outgrown the humble container. Like, I wanted my own experience and my own. I wanted to bring in new product categories because of the market I had. Predominantly clothes, uh, purses, a little bit of jewelry. Um, I'm a jewelry designer by trade. Um, been in the jewelry business for a long time. Costume jewelry, fine jewelry, my own collections through, throughout the course of time. Um, so I just felt like I wanted to get into different product categories and we didn't really have the space to do it there. Uh, I met my boyfriend, Michael, who was one of my partners, one of the MCMs, and we, we were, you know, we're just talking to different people and we met someone that said, you know, I, well, I would go into a store, I need a store, I'd like to have a store, and I said, well, we would too. And that's sort of how it organically progressed. We just started going on the mad search for like the perfect space. And we found this one. So, having found their perfect brick-and-mortar space here in the neighborhood earlier this year, Kat and her new partners set about the most essential part of the process to ready it for its opening back in June, filling it with great stuff. To the untrained eye, it can look like a second-hand store just kind of happens. You hang some old clothes here, you repurpose some old dishware there, But in reality, behind every secondhand store is an art. The art of imagining a future for things whose journeys once appeared to be over. Someone's old loafers might be someone else's new wedding shoes. That old print could be just the thing for this new bedroom. Sometimes a thing's journey really is over, or its time hasn't yet come again. And vintage shops rise and fall on their ability to curate the very best collections of things at just the right moment to begin a new life. As Kat notes, knowing where and how to find those things is essential to success in the vintage game. And there are so many places to look. We get phone calls from people, like uh, a relative is moving, uh, downsizing, moving to Florida. (laughs) A lot of New Yorkers relocate to Florida when they get older. you know, there's there's estate sales and tax sales. We look at we look everywhere. We look at everything. We look at crate. We look everywhere. Um, we'll go near and far for the right kind of stuff. You know, I had a good friend of mine move from upstate New York to Seattle, and said, "I can't bring a thousand records with me." So I said, "Well, I'd like to see you one more time before you move to Seattle, and I would love to see your record collection." One more time. So we did a check up there to get records. Like it's stuff like that. Um, uh, someone bought a house and they bought it with the furnishings but they don't want those furnishings you just kind of like just take it people buy houses that way and then so they say okay you know I I bought this house and there's all this stuff in it come 
Do you want it? You know, it's just, it's all over. A lot of new buyers will start out at places like flea markets, but for professional pickers like Kat and her partners, it's often more helpful to go directly to the source at events like estate sales, where complete homes full of a lifetime's worth of stuff are put up for sale. So an estate sale is usually someone's house or apartment that they are either downsizing or they're moving or someone passed away um, and they, they hire there's some privately held ones by the family members, which I do not do not recommend doing because there is there is a there is a system and it is you really need to know what you're doing. Um, so you hire someone to host it for you, and so uh, you basically run a sale in a house. And so you meet with a homeowner, you go through the house to see what's there. Um, it takes a lot of prep to sort of stage an estate sale because lots you know there's people collect things for years you know people get older it's hard for them to maintain their houses sometimes it's a pristine house sometimes it's not a pristine house so uh so it's just basically going into someone's house and just seeing you know looking at what's there and seeing what speaks to you and what speaks to your customer and what you feel like you could really um sell like any curator, a vintage buyer succeeds and fails on their ability to understand their audience's taste. And as Kat explains, there's often no better audience to start with than yourself. Part of what makes you successful, I think, is your genuine like of what you're presenting. People don't like to feel played to, you know? So I can honestly say everything in here, and there's a lot in here. Most of it, like, I really like it. You know, I t sometimes I see things and I think, oh, that that would probably sell. But then I think, I really don't want to look at it. I don't really, I don't love it. I don't appreciate it. Like, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to, I don't like to sell things that I don't like personally. Um, yeah, I think I just, I just had a knack for it and, and just thought like, well, if I believed in something that I liked enough, I can express it to other people. There are a number of characteristics that make the art of vintage uniquely challenging for secondhand buyers. Perhaps the most pressing are the logistics of it all. If you're buying from someone's old house, you might be in Brooklyn one day and the Bronx the next. And of course, there's the fact that you can never trust that you'll find what you're looking for. You never know where you're going to find. That's, you know, sort of the curse and the beauty of vintage is you can't go get, when you're sourcing in this way, you can't go get a something. You know, if it, you never know what a house is going to have. You know, so, you, you know, you hope someone's going to have an amazing closet full of pristine 50s dresses, but you never know. To make the most out of so much unpredictability, it seems that some strategies work better than others. And for her part, Kat likes to look in places that might intimidate other, less bold buyers. I like finding the things that most people don't go for. You know, they, there's always the sock drawer that no one wants to go into. It's kind of like personal you know, when you go into something, they feel weird. You know, there's a lot of weird, kind of funny things that happen in estate sales. And I am going for the sock jaw, and I'm going to the and slips. You know, I sell a lot of loungewear and um, slips. You know, un like underpinnings or whatever. And so I am, I am in those dressers, and I'm trying to find like a really cute vintage bra or vintage slip or half slip or nightgown. So that's the stuff that I 
I head right there all the time. <laughs> like, right to the bedroom, right to the slip drawer, because I love it. That may sound a bit strange, but as Kat puts it, like with all vintage, it comes down to respect for the items themselves and for the people to whom they may have meant so much. I think in the beginning it can be very strange, uh, but you get used to it like anything else, you get used to it. Um, I always, I always, to, always strive to be respectful. Um, whether there's a family member in the house or not, um, it's still, there's, there's, a, there's still a business owner that's there that has organized the house. And people, people just make messes and it's like a, you know, a bull in a china shop. And I find that disrespectful, just to the, to the tag sale hosts. But just, I try to be respectful of people's things. You know, this is stuff that people use and they loved it. And, you know, I, so that, that aspect of being respectful overtakes the weirdness. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you know, we've seen weird stuff. You know, there's always something funny that will pop up that, you know, someone's unmentionables, <laughs> you know. For some people, saying goodbye to things that they or their families or their loved ones may have cherished is hard. And since her days in the shipping container, Kat's made it a practice to help people move on by showing them just how meaningful those things can be for their new owners. When I started doing the, the, the shipping container store, I would connect with there just happened to be a lot of family members at the sales that I was going to, and I ended up connecting with them, and I think the the family members would see that I was buying things and looking at things very, I don't know, specifically, and maybe, maybe carrying myself as if I respected my environment and where I was, and so I would connect with them and take their number, we'd exchange numbers, and they, then they would say, hey, you know, I wasn't going to show this dress to the sale. My mom really loved it, but they would pull it out and say, I think, but I would be happy if you were to take this dress. So fine. So that, I love when that happens. And so we'd exchange contact information. And then when I would sell it in the store, I would, first I would take pictures so they would see the environment, like see it's, you know, I'll press it, I'll steam it, I'll, you know, here's what it looks like. Um, and they love it, you know, because it's, showing the new beginning of the new life of this thing and then I, I take a photo of whoever buys it and I send it to them and the you know when the right piece goes on the right person their faces are just beaming I have a wedding to go to or whatever and so I end up sending that photo to the to the relative the lady who pulled out that dress and she'd say you know oh I'm crying you know mom is upstairs happy and you know that sort of full circle is I love it. I love doing that. Kat and her partners aren't just thoughtful about the pieces in Brooklyn Vintage Company. They're thoughtful about the people. And here in a neighborhood where hip vintage stores and thrift shops are sometimes seen as heralds of gentrification, they're especially thoughtful about the community. After the break, Kat's thoughts on the relationship between vintage and the forces changing Bushwick, and her vision for the role she and her partners hope Brooklyn Vintage Company can play here. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that provides offices, co-working, event spaces, and a brand new podcast recording room. Have you been dreaming of starting your very own podcast in Brooklyn? You can now rent space in 100 Bogart's custom-built podcast room to record interviews, voiceover, and commentary. 
The room is fitted out with two microphones, mixing board, and a MacBook Pro running Pro Tools. You can rent the space by the hour, and a rental of an hour or more includes a 100 Bogart co-working pass. That means complimentary coffee, tea, and access to your own desk for the rest of the day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on your next audio project. 100 Bogart has the space and amenities you need to kickstart your podcast. Learn more at 100bogart.com or call their team at 718-362-3539. Brooklyn Vintage Company's home here in the neighborhood is, in a way, a lot like the secondhand pieces Kat and her partners sell at the store. Something old, given new life and a fresh journey. And it's funny that, you know, in, in the theme of journeys, like this building is from the early 1900s. And it was initially a sewing needle factory. So it's interesting that it's, you know, garments and, you know, fashion and stuff, stuff like that. And then um, it's gone through a few, a few different tenants, obviously, over the years. But most recently, I think it was uh, some kind of church, the congregation type church thing. Which I think, again, is cool because we like this space to be a place where people can congregate. We're, we're sitting at a dining room table as if we're home. You know, we're in someone's house and we're chilling out and there's a couch and there's a record player and, you know, you could play dress up and, you know, we just don't have a kitchen. <laughs> that's the only thing that's missing. But in Bushwick, where the journeys of so many people and places are being cut short by the effects of gentrification, each new business here has a responsibility to help make the community stronger especially for Bushwick's most vulnerable, like the neighborhood's low-income families and long-term residents. Initially, Kat and her partners were nervous that their neighbors here would view Brooklyn Vintage Company as another hipster business inaccessible to all but Bushwick's wealthiest residents. We didn't want people to look at us and say, oh man, there goes a neighborhood. Oh, the, you know, the gentrification is coming to that next step. You know, here we go. You know, um, we knew how we would approach it and how we wanted to be inclusive. Uh, our prices are very reasonable. You're not going to please everyone, but we try to be reasonable in our pricing and in, in, in what we offer. The surprise has been that how well we have been embraced by the neighborhood. Kat sees what she describes as a kind of cycle that vintage stores and other businesses can fall into where they try to appeal to a wealthier customer base, biding their time with lower-income neighbors as they wait for their communities to gentrify. And our aim was never to get on the front end of that cycle. That was never our aim. We wanted to be in a sense of community as it is now. We weren't going to say, oh, we'll just hang out and deal with the people that are here now, just waiting for that next wave of people. That was never our intent. From the start, Kat and her partners have built Brooklyn Vintage Company with accessibility in mind to reject the attitudes that accelerate the dispossession of gentrifying neighborhoods. Most important thing is you treat everybody equally. You know, you just you welcome everyone. You know, hey, how's it going? What's your name? What's happening? You know, it's, it's your approach just on a one-to-one level. That's standard. That's the basic. And on a more practical level, Brooklyn Vintage Company makes a point to both stock and price pieces in a way that makes sense for the Bushwick community that's already here. Having an assortment of things that 
everybody needs or everybody would like and have it be reasonably priced you know you can get a cool set of retro glasses for $30 $25 you know a piece of Pyrex you know bake a casserole at home everyone's cooking like home cooking is great now right so there's a cool piece of retro Pyrex you know so in 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 how you interact with people and then the products that you who doesn't want a cool you know we have old magazines from like the 1930s you know there's a cool book on New York City on Brooklyn specific there's books there's old storytelling books uh, you know photography books there's it's it's in in how you present yourself and what you sell makes the difference I think. what role can a secondhand shop like brooklyn vintage company play in a neighborhood like bushwick on a broad level it can help the neighborhood be more sustainable by providing an option that's a bit more wallets and environmentally friendly for buying everything from home goods to clothing. A lot of times what's left over uh, either gets donated by the family or by the people that host the estate sale, or sadly it, gets, it just gets destroyed. And that's the part that really bothers me. I really don't like to see things that are made really well end up in a landfill. There's no need for it, you know. Um, a little, a little paint, a little TLC, you know, something. There's, I always feel like there's a way to repurpose something, everything, a T-shirt, whatever it is. You know, I've, I've been in the fashion business too, in the apparel business, and I've seen a lot of waste. Fashion, the fashion industry has a lot of waste involved in it. Um, so specifically with apparel and what they call fast fashion, there's a lot of there's a lot of waste. It's, lot, it's very disposable. Uh, and I, I just think it's completely bad for the environment. And it's just, uh, it, it makes you not really uh, appreciate what you have and what you buy. And so I, I like the notion of, you know, buy, buy less, but buy better. And if you're on a low budget, it means buying vintage and buying reused because lot, nine times out of 10, you could probably buy a better quality piece than a newer piece for less money. But looking ahead, CAD envisions an impact beyond just what the store sells and hopes to develop Brooklyn Vintage Company into a kind of community space where people from across the neighborhood can come together. I would like to have, let's say, a record listening party or something. So it could be a cocktail party, it could be a poetry reading, it could be have artwork from local people up and have like a gallery type opening. Um, but the point would be to have neighbors that pass each other on the street all the time and don't speak to each other, have a place that they can come and they'll talk to each other. Oh, you like that painting? I like that painting. Oh, I see you on the street, but I never, you know, dog owners meet each other all the time. Well, at least their dogs do. And they, you know, they meet each other at the dog park, which is great, but like more of that. So. And again, you don't know who this person knows. You don't know who that, what that person needs. So if there's a place that people can come together besides a bar. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's bars doing really good things. And there's, you know, the doggy shelter, the, the people that do the adoption of the Bushwick Bark. You know, there's people doing really good things. And so if we can be, and we have a large space. It's full of stuff. 
But it's a large space, so if we can use the space to maybe have some events where we get people talking and just communicating and meeting each other in an in a organic way, not electronically, um, is is good. Just express ideas and and na- you know and network. Just over two months after opening, Kat and the team are already off to a strong start. I mean, we come into contact with everybody. You know, as a retail store, you know, there's there's people that don't even come in. You know, there's a dog park a couple blocks down. So everyone on the way to the park and on the way back, you know, you don't even have to come into the store. You just talk to the people walking their dogs. I know them. I know, I, sadly, I probably know more dogs names than people's names ultimately cat hopes that the shop and the spirit behind it speak for themselves if they took the time to come in they'll realize that we're not here to be part of there goes the neighborhood you know does do our windows get tagged yes they do (laughs) that's to be expected but you know that's fine and you know we're gonna we're actually working with some artists to do um some artwork along the side, on the Himrod side, and revolving. So we'll meet, we'll talk with people. You know, are you an artist? Do you want to do some stuff on the wall? Go right ahead. Let's talk about it. You know, that's the thing. Like, if you come in and talk to me and then we could work together, that's how you become part of the, in the neighborhood. So much of the journey behind Brooklyn Vintage Company has been about the power of dreams. Dreams of new lives for old things, dreams of a new kind of home for a strong community, and dreams even of a shop to call one's own. Is this store a dream? Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. As Kat and her team build what they hope is the foundation that will carry that dream far into the future, she wanted to share some parting words of encouragement for anyone else pursuing something a little crazy. If people have what they think is some crazy dream or aspiration to pursue something. It's not crazy. Is it a dream? Yeah, it's a dream, but in a, in a good attainable way. And even though you think that dream is far off, just know that everything that you're doing is going to be a drop in the bucket towards what that dream will be and will inform what that dream is down the road. So don't be frustrated. Whatever situation you're in, sort of take it as a, you know, a time to learn and gather, but always have your eye on that dream because you never know who you're gonna meet tomorrow. When she's not going through other people's sock drawers or helping customers find their new favorites at the shop, Kat is open to talk. If anyone needs advice, if anyone, you know, I. I believe in mentoring and, you know, helping people come up. So if anyone wants, needs advice or they, if there's something that they needed to know about that I'm available to just help people and give them direction, whatever it is. And getting in touch, whether for advice or updates on the latest secondhand surprises, is easy. Um, on Instagram, we are Brooklyn Vintage Company. Uh, you could DM us. Uh, my my personal phone number is linked through the store, so my phone does ring constantly. Uh, so yeah, but reach out, and uh, we don't really have an email so much yet because we're constantly on the run. We just mostly communicate with customers through through Brooklyn Vintage Company. We've got all that info and more in the show notes for this week's episode. 
We'd like to extend our sincere thanks to Kat and her partners in MCM for taking us behind the scenes of the vintage world and for sharing more about their early work here in the community. And as always, we'd also like to thank you for listening this week. If you enjoy Bushwick Podcast, you can do us a huge favor by telling a friend or by leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform, which helps us reach even more new listeners with stories like these. We'll be back next week with our final episode of the season, an exciting collaboration with our friends at the new Bushwick blog, This Bushwick Life. You won't want to miss it. In the meantime, did you know that Bushwick Podcast is made by people just like you? We'd love your thoughts and your help. If you have questions, comments, or want to get involved, send us an email to hello at herebushwick.com. That's H-E-A-R bushwick.com. Or you can always DM us on our Instagram page at Bushwick Podcast. We look forward to hearing from you soon, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.